Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful every week when we come together, not in fellowship, but in worship, but also to enjoy your word, to receive its truth, to be blessed in what you say to us through the very words of the Bible that have come from you, Lord. So, Lord, bless us in this time as we receive what you have for us to receive. In the name of Christ, amen. The other day, I was meeting someone at Starbucks, and so I was sitting at the table, and I was waiting for them to come, and in the table right next to me, there was a father, and he had a little four-year-old girl and a little two-year-old boy. And all of a sudden, the two-year-old did what two-year-olds often do, and he spilled his milk, right? So his milk was spilled on the table, and what do you think the little four-year-old did? She started to laugh, and the father immediately looked at his daughter and said, don't laugh, he'll think it's fun to spill his milk. But of course, by that point, the little boy was laughing too. And so the two kids are laughing as the, the father's cleaning up the milk, right? And he finally gets it cleaned up. And he comes back over to the table, and then I hear the little girl say, happy birthday, dad. <laughs> and the father said, thank you, but my birthday's not for a couple of weeks. And on and on the conversation went like that between the four-year-old girl <laughs> and the dad. And I thought to myself, you know, life is very different when you have little kids around. <laughs> they can be so silly, right? So imagine for a moment that I'm with you, we're having coffee, and I spill my coffee, and you start to laugh at me, right? <laughs> and then you say something really silly to me, like, happy birthday, Pastor Chris, right? You probably wouldn't do that, right? You probably wouldn't do that because as we grow up, we understand what it means to mature, right? To mature in how we act and talk and think. And so this morning, as we continue in our study on Colossians, we are going to look at maturing in Christ. We are told that we are called to be mature in Christ. And we're able to do this about because of who God is and what Christ has done for us. Last week, we talked about, we started to talk about the preeminence of Christ. We talked about how he is preeminent over all things. We talked about how he's preeminent in our lives because he has freed us from the domain of darkness. He has pulled us out of the domain of darkness, out of that sin that ruled our lives, and he has brought us into the kingdom of his son where we can dwell and we can, and we can enjoy not having to constantly be giving in to our sinful desires. He is the Savior and the Lord and the authority of our lives. And so this morning we talk all the more in the book of Colossians about the preeminence of Christ, about his place in our lives, about how he was not just a human being in flesh, that he was the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. God in the flesh. And we're going to also see how his work can help us to become that mature Christian that we are called to be, that we need to be. How wonderful it is to know that as we go through the book of Colossians, we're going to see some magnificent, wonderful aspects of who Christ is and the difference that Christ makes in our lives. And that we can live a life that is meaningful purposeful and fruitful. So even though uh, Arnold read 
Colossians 1, 15 to 20 for us. I want to read, we're going to read all of our passages this morning. We're going to read the first part now, 15 to 23, and then 24 to 30 at, a little bit later. So when you ever see the yellow, please read the yellow um, parts with me. So here we go. Paul says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, were the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, I'm sorry, oops, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, that's when we were in the dominion of darkness, and were enemies in your minds because of your behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become. A servant. This section speaks much about who Jesus is in very lofty terms. He is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, along with God the Father and God the Spirit. He is the image of the invisible God. Not as man is made in the image of God, for as man we have limited likeness of God. We do not have the divine attributes of God that the Son of God has. The Son of God, therefore, has dominion over all things. We're also told that the Son of God made flesh is the firstborn of every creature. Not that he himself is a creature because he is over all things, but he is firstborn in the sense of time and rank. In time in that he always has existed and always will exist. And in rank, and that he is preeminent over all things. Also, we are told that he is the firstborn of the dead because he died and was resurrected from the dead. Therefore, we have the promise of hope that when we die, we receive that resurrection to eternal life because of Christ and what Christ has done. So we see that he is the firstborn of every creature but he is also the creator of all things. Of course, we know that only God can create all things, and so here we learn a little bit more about how the Son of God is God in the flesh, fully God, because he participated in creation. And then verse 16 tells us that he made all things out of nothing. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm not really a builder, and so if I try to build things, it doesn't go very well. I don't know if you're handy or not. Maybe some of you are pretty handy and can do that. When I try to build things, it's difficult. But I need materials to build something, right? You need materials to build something. But God created all things out of nothing. Out of nothing. 
Pretty amazing. He created the highest angel in heaven as well as men and women upon earth. He made the world, the upper world, and the lower world. He made all the inhabitants of both, the angels and human beings. All things were made by him, and we're told by John, and without him not anything made was made without his making it. John 1.3. Confirming what Paul says here, that all things were created by him and for him, for his, by his power, for his pleasure, and for his worship. So try to take that in for a moment, that Jesus, the Son of God, is the creator of all things, and has created all things for his pleasure and for his worship. But third, along with that, we told, we're told that he holds all things together. Without Christ's power in this world, the world would literally fall apart. Literally fall apart. Now, you might look around and feel like things are kind of falling apart in this world, and, and there are things that are falling apart because there's so many who are not following Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They have not received him as their Savior, and so therefore they're not walking with him. They're walking in sin. They're walking in evil, and it's causing so much problems around us, right? All the time we're, we're hearing about, we're seeing, we're experiencing the evil in the world that is impacting our lives, and we feel at times that the world is in confusion. And it is because they have lost their Savior. He is not the Lord of their lives. Yet, if Christ's sustaining power were completely removed, the earth would be in literal chaos. It would be a very scary place to live without Christ's presence and power in this world. See, there's still the word of God that brings truth and the love of God which uplifts and the hope of salvation which gives us the hope we need to carry on all the way to the end. How wonderful it is to have these things as part of our life and give us a sense of peace and strength and hope that we can hold on to Christ as the one who holds all things together. Maybe you know someone who's going through a difficult time or maybe someone who's dealing with a, a, a very difficult sickness and their life feels like it's in confusion. It's, it's kind of tumbling away. Jesus can hold all things even to the very end, knowing that in the end we will be in his very presence, in his very love, in his very peace, in the joy of the Lord. Lastly, we are told that he reconciles all things. Because of our sin and our giving ourselves over to temptation, Jesus had to make, make peace on our behalf by dying on the cross for us as any parent would not want their children to be alienated from them, so God did not want us to be alienated from him in our sinfulness. See, our, our minds can get unfocused and, and distorted, but in Christ we are reconciled and we are freed from that and we are brought back into a right thinking and a right way of understanding the world. As Christ is the image of God, God in the flesh, he was able to pay this price for us. As Christ is the image of God, God in the flesh, we are able to understand God's love through him. As we are created in the image of God, we are able to be established in Christ, and we're able to stand firm in Christ. And that makes such a difference in our lives, in the way we live our everyday lives. There's nothing we 
can do that God can't reconcile through Christ. And so Colossians 1, 15 to 23 establishes all the more for us who Christ is, his preeminence, and his provision for us. And so then we move to the, to the ending section. Paul says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Selwyn Hughes, in his book, Taken from Everyday Light, says this, The chief difference between other religions and the Christian faith, as it relates to the matter of personal salvation, is every other religion teaches a form of self-salvation. Christianity teaches that God came in the person of his Son, Jesus, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. So in Buddhism... Deliverance comes through the abolition of desire by self-effort. There is no God and no Savior. Hinduism says that each person must receive the fruit of his or her own wrongdoings in future lives, if not in this one. There is no escape by forgiveness, but only final release of nirvana involving the extinction of being. See, the mystery of the Christian faith is that not only is Christ our Savior, who gives us forgiveness and eternal life, but he also, here's the mystery, he also resides in us. That is the beautiful mystery and truth of the Christian faith. There is no God who is closer to us than our God. This is the mystery that Christ came to bring, and the truth that Christ came to make a reality this mystery is something the Apostle Paul was compelled to share with those who did not know Christ, so that they could know Christ and thus understand this mystery. Ed Stelzer is a well-known Christian speaker. He's the chair of Church Mission and Evangelism at Wheaton College. He is the, director, the executive director of the Billy Graham Center at the Wheaton College. And he talks about how the church is like a yo-yo. I don't know if you played with a yo-yo when, when you were younger. Maybe you still play with yo-yos. I don't know. But I remember playing with a yo-yo. I remember learning how to make a yo-yo sleep, and I'd make, you'd make it sleep and then make it walk. And the goal, though, was always to bring it back up, right? I mean, if you made it sleep, and then you made it walk, and then you couldn't bring it back up, there's no good to the trick, right? I mean, it has to come back up to you, and then that's the trick, right? But see, a yo-yo, the purpose of a yo-yo, no matter what you do, you know, you can make a little uh, swing and you swing it or all these different tricks, but the purpose, the ultimate purpose is that it goes out and then what? It comes back. It goes out and it comes back. And see, so the church is like a yo-yo. We go out into the world and then we come back 
for learning and fellowship and, and worship and support and strengthening. And then we go out and we, we share this gospel story. And then we get beaten down, right? And then we come back for worship and strengthening and, and all the things that we receive with God's people in the church. So we're like a yo-yo. We're called to go out, but we are called to come back as well. Stetzer says this, the centripetal movement, or the coming in of God's mission, is most clearly seen in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. God placed Israel in the middle of the nations, in the promised land. They were called to be a light to the nations, to live so that the nations would be drawn to Jerusalem, as seen in Exodus 19.5, Deuteronomy 28.10, and Isaiah 49.6. As Israel embodied and enacted the life of God, the kingdom of God, they were to be an attractive sign to a watching world. We are called to be a light, an attractive sign pointing people to God, to the truth of God, to the salvation of God. That is what we're called to do. So because of that, Paul concludes with the teaching that we are all to be fully mature in Christ. If you get anything this morning, get this, that we are called to be fully mature in Christ. We are to be growing from that four-year-old that says silly things to mature adults that understand what it means to really live. This is what Paul gave his life for. This is what God called Paul to do with his life. This is what I feel compelled to do as a minister to help people become fully mature in Christ. But in truth, this is what all of us should do. We should want that for ourselves. We should want that for others, that we all become fully mature in Christ. It's not enough to accept Jesus as our Savior. I mean, that is our starting point, our first goal. This is evangelism, right? To tell people about the salvation found in Christ by sharing your story. We've talked about that many times. We share our story, how we've come to know Jesus, so that others can say, oh, I want that for myself. How do I find Jesus? That is evangelism. Helping them to see who Christ is and how and why he can be their Savior. But Jesus also is to be our Lord, for whom we seek every day and whose truth we attempt to know and to live out. In our maturity, we are led to go and make disciples. This is then discipleship, where we help those who are in Christ, who are Christ followers, grow in their faith and commitment and service to the Lord. So, those who are followers of Christ grow in their faith and commitment and service to the Lord. So, as we understand the mystery of God, and apply it to our lives, we are then led by the Spirit to share with others. Does that make sense? We are then led by the Spirit to share what we ourselves are learning. That's a wonderful truth of the Scriptures. So, Ed Stetcher continues, he says, The centripetal movement of God's mission remains as part of God's missional call for the New Testament people. Remember, we talked about the Old Testament, Israel being in the center, and now the New Testament of people a calling for those who are becoming mature in Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught his followers, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. 
let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, Peter uses similar language in his uh, letter in 1 Peter 2, 9-12. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. How wonderful is that? I mean, take in those words for a moment. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, a holy people. We are God's special possession, his children. That you, but we're that for a reason, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness. Remember we talked about being called out of the dominion of darkness. Into his wonderful light, into the kingdom of the sun. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friend, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Do you see what's happening? That mission is not just about going out, but it's about coming back, it's being strengthened. It's about being with God, about being that fully mature Christian, about being that fully mature follower. See, the great commandment tells us to go out, right? But we have to be strengthened and built up, become mature, and then we're prepared to go out, go out into the world. To live out the great commission of making disciples. Therefore, it becomes effectual, attractional. We become attractive to a dying and lost world. The way we live, then, we are called to live in a way that attracts people to Jesus Christ. So you might, this is a tough question to ask. You ask yourself, am I living in a way, am I a, the kind of mature Christ follower, so that when people see my life, they're attracted to Jesus. And if not, then what do you need to change? What do I need to change so that when people encounter us, maybe our love needs to be deeper or needs to be more unconditional. Maybe we need to be more giving or forgiving. What do we need to do so that they look at us and they say, you are so different. Why? Oh, I have Jesus in my life. Wow, I'm attracted to that. I'm attracted to that. We need to live our lives in a way that attracts people to Jesus. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul acknowledges that he cannot do this on his own. He can only do it by the strength that God gives to him, by the wisdom that God gives to him, by the love that God gives to him, by the joy that God gives to him. And that lives out in him, that lives out in us, and then it becomes attractional. All right. People are attracted to so Paul stresses that what motivates his living is spreading the gospel. That's what motivates him. Every day I could just imagine Paul getting up and said, I am motivated to tell someone about Jesus today. I mean, that's a pretty simple way to live, right? You get up, a fully mature Christian gets up and says, I am going to tell someone about Jesus today. That's what I'm motivated to do. God gave me another day to live. I am going to tell someone about Jesus today. In fact, Paul says it this way. He says, to this end, to this end, I live and breathe and serve God. You may think that Paul was a little zealous and that you can never be zealous like Paul was. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, 
when the Holy Spirit sets you on fire, you can't do anything but share Jesus because your life is so different and you understand it's different because of what Jesus has done for you. And you can be zealous. It might look different than the way Paul did it, but you will be zealous for the Lord. You will be excited about your relationship with the Lord. You will want to tell others about Jesus. It just will happen. Paul says, yes, you can be this way. Christ wants you to be light and salt. Christ wants you to love others and to bless others. Christ wants you to see that the world doesn't make sense unless you receive him as your Lord and Savior and you unlock this mystery, which is Christ in you. And you can tell people Christ can be in you too. So we ask ourselves these questions. What is my life to be about? What is my purpose? Does my existence even make a difference? Yes, it does. Yes, yes, yes. Your life is to be about living for Jesus, about being full and mature in Christ, about sharing with others the gospel. That, when you start to do that in your life, then your life begins to make sense. And it draws you all the more close to God so that in whether our times are high or low, good or bad, you have that peace and that love, and that strength of God, and you understand the eternal perspective. You don't get lost in the moment. See, even the Jewish Christians were called to engage with people cross-culturally, going into differing ethnic and racial cultures. They did this in order to share the gospel with those who were far from God. Right? They understood that that was their purpose, to share Jesus with those who are far from God. See, as we look at our urban context, how our world is being globalized, right? By the internet and by travel, it's globalized, right? How our communities are changing are so ethnically diverse, right? We have, we have all the nations right around us. All you have to do is go to, to L.A., right? And you have probably every... I mean, I heard statistics like in L.A., like they're the second highest of almost all these different countries, Right? Like, Korea is, a, is the, the most Koreans, but L.A. has the second most Koreans. And, and uh, China has the most Chinese, but L.A. has the second most Chinese. Or, you know, I mean, we live in a world where it's been globalized, and all around us are the many nations and tribes that God talks about right here in our backyard. Remember, not too long ago, we went through the book of Acts, and you probably remember Acts 1.8, where Jesus told us to be witnesses in our community and to the ends of the earth, Right? to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, here's another way to think of it. Our Jerusalem is any location within our daily sphere, where we reside daily, our daily sphere of influence, that is within our community of faith, those who believe like us, our community of faith. That's our Jerusalem. Our Judea is any location outside our daily sphere of influence of our community of faith but shares a common worldview. So people that still share that same faith, that same common worldview, but a little farther out than us. They're not, we don't encounter them daily. Or Samaria is any location outside our daily sphere of influence, but they have a slightly different worldview, right? They don't believe in Jesus the way we do. And to the ends of the earth is any location outside our daily sphere of influence, but has a radically different worldview. And so we are called to be witnesses in all these different areas. And so, yes, missions is going out into other countries. 
we just started uh, supporting the Fosters, and Brianna Foster is here with us. Their daughter is here with us this morning. And they're in South, her family's in South Africa, witnessing South Africa. And by supporting them, we have, we have work that we're doing in South Africa. How wonderful is that? But God also calls us to, to minister right in here, and we can do that to the ends of the earth, even here in our own backyard. So this verse does reflect being a witness in our community and beyond, but also reflects the need to be a witness to the differing peoples around us. And that is a remarkable opportunity in truth. The people who ask the question, what must I do to be saved? So first, God moves attractionally so that we can live transformed, guided lives and attract others to Jesus. But secondly, God moves incarnationally so we can participate in God's worldwide mission. So it's important for us as a church to teach to equip, to exhort, to provide avenues for believers to participate in God's worldwide mission. That's why it's great that we go to Mexico, right? And hopefully at some point we'll go to Mexico and some other farther place. Maybe we'll go to South Africa, who knows? But that we need to participate in worldwide mission, not just be comfortable in our own space. We need to go to every nation and tribe and people and tongue. And so we understand that Jesus is preeminent over all things, the sustainer and redeemer of all things, the one who holds all things together, the one who enables us to be saved and then grow into maturity. It is in Christ that we can do this, that we can have an amazing, meaningful life, a purposeful life, a fruitful life, a life that makes a difference, not just in the now, but in the eternal. And as we understand this mystery, as we understand that Christ is in us and that we need to share to others so that Christ can be in them, then we begin to mature more and more and live the life that God calls us to live. The question is, will you be part of that plan? Let us pray.